Welcome to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast, a deep dive into biblical leadership with pastor and author, Dr. Gerald Brooks. Hi, this is Gerald Brooks. Thank you so much for joining me for my podcast today. Before we jump into the lesson, I want to talk to you about a leadership opportunity that I think is pretty profound. That is the roundtables that I do. This year, I'm talking about leading during COVID. I'm dealing with the four things that make this crisis distinct from any other crisis I've led in for 43 years. I'm dealing with the difference between the anointing and adrenaline. I'm convinced that if you do not make this distinction, you are on your road to destruction. And then talking literally verse by verse from a parable Jesus taught on organizational growth. I think these lessons are gold, but here's the thing. You've got to be in the room. See, a lot of people don't realize what being in the room means. Being in the room is a game changer because as much as you can listen to leadership, what you're doing on this podcast, that sort of addition, multiplication happens when you are in the room with a leader. And I can tell you that every major jump I took in leadership, I was in a room that propelled me and compelled me to take another step in my leadership journey. So if you haven't gone to GeraldBrooksMinistries.com, I have a roundtable in Orlando. So if you're freezing like we are in Dallas, that's the roundtable for you. That's on March 2nd. March 9th, I will be in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And then the 16th of March, I will be in St. Louis, Missouri. And then we've rescheduled the Clarksville, Tennessee, and we are going to be there the 25th of March. Uh, Mike and his team were just so wonderful to just uh, readjust and allow us because of bad weather here and bad weather that they were having there. So March 25th, you can go to my webpage and you can uh, sign up for any of these. Today, I want to talk to you about Abraham. Now, Abraham's one of those Old Testament figures that we're given a whole volume of information about. We know that when you study the Bible, there are people like Jabez. We're given a snippet of information. Now, that information is vital. We understand his prayer component. It was really a game changer. But with people like Abraham, Moses, and David, you're given a breadth of information. And whenever God does that, there's something he really wants you to notice and pay attention to. So today I want to talk to you about keys of leadership from Abraham's life. Keys to leadership from Abraham's life. Abraham's journey really starts in Genesis chapter 12 really a few verses before that in chapter 11. But in this particular uh, passage, it says, And now the Lord said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. First principle of leadership. To lead, there are sacrifices you must make. See, a lot of people want to be leaders. They just don't want to make sacrifices. And there is a proportion between the sacrifices you make and the leadership position that you end up gaining. And so if your stature of leadership is going up, then your sacrifices are going up. Yesterday's sacrifice is not today's leadership. 
And what God's asking Abram to do is to make some sacrifices. It's interesting to me. He mentions some very specific things. He says, I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your kindred. And I want you to leave your father's house. Now, each one of these are important because they speak about a dimension of life that Abraham was leading in. See, the country referred to as safety zone. Now, I want you to understand that during the day in which Abram lived, uh, people tended to consolidate around their clan, around their tribe. And the reason they did that was that there was safety in numbers. And so if you wanted to stay safe, you stayed with your clan, you stayed with your tribe, that's where you hung out with. But here's the thing, God's asking him to leave his safety zone. See, a lot of us have safety nets in life, but for us to become leaders, we're going to have to get out of that safety net. One of my dear friends, John Maxwell, I can remember a conversation I had with him. I come from a, a specific group, and he looked at me, he said, Gerald, he said, Never leave that group, but don't be confined to that group. You got to get larger than that group. And see, that's one of the things that John helped me with was that I needed to get out of my country. I needed to get out of my safety zone. Where I felt safe wasn't going to make me better. See, I was very safe there, but I wasn't going to be the leader I am today if I stayed there. The second thing he said, his kindred. This is his family. These are the people that love him, that care about him, that are interested in him. Um, and this is a little bit different. The country's the safety zone, but kindred is the comfort zone. This is where you're very comfortable. Man, I just feel good here. This is the lazy boy of life, the comfort zone. But then he goes on and he says, from your father's house. Now, the way things worked in that day was that businesses and properties and lands were basically built up by the patriarch and handed down to the eldest son, which would have been Abraham. And so if you go through the generations and Abraham's uh, granddad had given off to his dad and now his dad's going to give, the idea was each generation has multiplied the wealth. So what we see here is that God said, if you're going to lead, you're going to make some sacrifices. And the sacrifices are going to look like this. You're going to get out of your safety zone. You're going to get out of your comfort zone. And you're going to get out of your economic zone. Wow. How many times have I sat across from somebody who said, I feel called to the ministry, but I have a career doing X. What are they saying? They can't get out of their economic zone. How many times have I talk to someone who said, well, you know, I feel like I could be a profound leader. It's just, I'm really good here at this particular thing. They won't get out of their comfort zone. And then sometimes people just fall in love with the safety zone. It's just where they feel safe. Um, hey, this is what I feel safe doing. This is what I've always done. But, but he's challenging three things, the safety zone, the comfort zone, the economic zone. I'm just telling you, if you do what I do for a living, you can break that down into three slots and man, you can milk that cow. But what he's basically saying is you've got to leave the convenient. Whatever is convenient for you, I'm asking you to leave. And you're going to have to let go of things you've always loved. See, that's the reason it's a sacrifice. See, me giving up certain things in life are 
no sacrifice. Someone says, hey, Gerald, I want you to give up eating salads. That's not a sacrifice to me. You know why? I don't like salads. I don't want to eat salads. Nobody's going to convince me to eat a salad. I've got people in my organization who say, well, if you want to live longer, you need to eat salads. And what I say to them is the reason you live longer is when you eat salads, it just seems longer. I want to eat other stuff. I may not seem to live as long, but I'm going to be happy. So leave the convenient, let go of things you've always loved. Leadership always involves sacrifice. So here's the thought. The next level of leadership requires new levels of sacrifice. Old sacrifice doesn't equal new leadership. New sacrifice equals new leadership. What are you giving up today to get you to the next level? What does that look like? So to lead, there's sacrifices which must be made. Also, integrity must be learned. In Genesis 12, verse 18, we're consolidating a whole lot of passage here. But Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she, talking about Sarah, was your wife? And this whole thing involves a story about integrity. And the integrity issue of lying and misrepresenting the truth, manipulating the moment. Here's the thing. He's going to have to learn integrity because the reason a leader must learn integrity is every day they're offered chances to cut corners. They're offered the opportunity to just sort of uh, cut and to shade an area of life, to not color within the lines. And what he's going to have to learn is that integrity will preserve you. Integrity will preserve you. Now, as a leader, you have to realize integrity that is lost is seldom regained. I remember years ago, I was reading an article about leaders who had missteps. And in this particular article, what they indicated was that very few ever rebound from a misstep. But if they do rebound, it usually takes them five years of hitting bottom before they rebound. But it's so few people who ever regain integrity that's lost. Here's the the truth for a leader. As a leader, you have to win on the inside. I'll say it the rest of my life. The biggest battles I face and the biggest battles you face are not outward battles. They're inward battles. They're not the battles that everyone sees. They're the battles that no one sees. They're the battles that no one is aware of. See, when I pray at times, I'll pray this, Lord, help me because I don't know these people. I don't know everything about these people, but help me. See, I need God's help because there's things that, God, that people will tell everyone, but there's also things that people will tell no one. And it's the no one description that where a leader has to really, really learn to lead. So, number one, to lead, there are sacrifices which must be made. Integrity has to be learned. You have to understand as a leader, the most important battles you will face are interior battles, not exterior battles. The next is vision must be seen. 
vision must be seen. Genesis 13, 14, and the Lord said to Abraham after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. Notice, lift your eyes, lift your eyes now and look from the place that you are. I want you to get the sequencing of this. Lift up your eyes. What does that mean? Get your eyes off down here and get your eyes on up there. Why? God wants to show you things you've never seen before. And he wants to show you things in a way that you've never seen them before. And that's what's going to happen with him. So will you lift up your eyes? Will you get your eyes off the temporal and get them on the eternal? Will you get your eyes off the earthly and begin to see the heavenly? Will you lift your eyes? It's not only lift your eyes, but he's very emphatic now. God is always showing something. It's just a matter of whether you're looking. So vision is this, the ability to lift your eyes, to lift your eyes now. So God's saying, I want you to get your eyes off the natural terrain, get it on heavenly terrain. I want you to do it right now. Don't wait. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till next week. Don't wait till next year. Do it right now. And notice he adds a caveat. I want you to lift your eyes now from the place where you are. See, most people don't have a vision from God. Because most people think they need to be somewhere else for God to give them a vision. They don't realize that God can show you something right where you're at. He can show you something right now where you're at, and he can show you in the place where you are. Many people say, well, if I had a different job, I could see. Well, if I had a different career, I could see. If my economy was different, I could see. If my health was different, I could see. If my relationships were different, I can see. Can I tell you something about God? God says, if you lift your eyes right now where you are, I'll show you something. And too many people are waiting to get in a perfect place to have a vision. But God moves people in a visionary fashion because they begin to lift their eyes, change their view line. They do it right now and they do it in the place. I don't have to be in a new relationship. I don't have to be in a new job. I don't have to have a new economy. I don't have to have somehow gotten out of all the problems I'm in right now. God says, lift your eyes now at the place that you are. God wants to give you a vision. The difference between most people and and leaders is just simply this. Leaders learn how to be visionary. There's something God wants to show you. It's what the prophet of old opened his eyes that he might see. It's what they did in the Old Testament with the priest when they would anoint their eyes and they would anoint their ears. Why? Why? Because God wants to anoint you to see something. So, to lead, there are sacrifices which must be made. Integrity must be learned. Vision must be seen. Next, battles must be fought. Now, when Abraham heard, this is Genesis 14, 14, that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house, and he went in pursuit as far as Dan. Abraham's going to go to war. And here's what I can tell you as a leader. If you're going to lead, there's going to be battles. If you're going to lead, you're going to fight wars. 
So here we go. There were really a couple of fights that he had to fight. He had to learn to fight for other people. See, if the only fights that you're in are personal fights, then you've never gotten into a God fight. He's going to have to fight for other people. And so in Genesis 14, verse 16, Lot has been taken captive. So he's going to fight for Lot. And he's going to go win that fight. And it says, so he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as all the women and the people. He learned to fight for people. See, leadership is very simple. It's not about power. It's not about position. It's not about prestige. It's about people. I've asked this question thousands of times. What can I do to make your life better? Most people walk in the room and ask the question, what can the people in the room do to make my life better? Will you fight for people? Will you lead in a godly way which will always lead you to help people? But the next thing is if you're going to fight for people, that means you're going to fight for values. When Abram goes out and he does this battle and he comes back with all the resources from this battle, it's interesting that he's met by the king of Sodom. Now, in the olden days, we'd say that he's the guy with the black hat. He's the, uh, the bad king. And he sees this array of people and resources that Abraham has brought back. And when he looks at the array of resources, he says, why don't you give me the people and I'll give you all the possessions? But Abraham doesn't respond. He looks at him and he says, hey, I'll keep the people. You can have the possessions. So let me ask you this. Are you willing to value people even when it seems like valuing things is better for you? Every leader is going to cross a bridge where valuing things is going to tempt them. Make the decision before you get there to always value people. Abraham says, hey, my God's going to take care of me. No man's going to say that they're rich in my life, except that God made me that way. So he's going to fight battles. Now, that being said, the next fight is he's going to have to learn how to get past the past. I sort of misspoke there. It's not the next fight. It's the next point. The past must be put in its place. It says in Genesis 15:1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, after. See, if you don't know how to put things in their past, you can't lead. When the past is more real to you than the present, you will lose the future. Get the proverb. When the past is more real to you than the present, you will lose the future. Here it goes. After these things. After you've left your family's home. After you went to a land with famine. After you went down to Egypt when you weren't supposed to go. After you lied about Sarah. After you and Lot got in a fight. After Lot was taken captive. After these things. If you don't 
learn to know what needs to be in the past, you fail. And so let me put it in terms, for some people who would be in ministry, they'll say, well, after, well, my staff left. My staff just wasn't good to me. After the doctor said, or after the board said, God says, if you can put things in the past, I'll tell you about your future. I'll be a shield, which is a protector, and I will be a reward, which is a provider. The past must be put in its place. Next principle, obedience must be exercised. Obedience must be exercised. One of the things that Abraham's going to do is that he's going to get frustrated with God's plan, and he's going to get frustrated with God's timing. When you don't think the plan of God is right, when you don't think the timing of God is right. And what's going to happen is he's going to come up with his own plan and his own timing. And as a result of that, he's going to have a child. But he's not going to have a child the way God said he's to have a child. He's not going to obey God. And his disobedience is something that our world is living through today. Don't think that when you disobey, the future's not affected by it. That other people who had nothing to do with it aren't influenced by it. Here's what we know. Failure to obey equals chaos. Talking about this son, and he will be a wild man. He's just going to stir up stuff. It equals chaos. See, Abraham crossed the bridge. He wasn't happy with a God idea. He substituted it for a good idea. And as a leader, you have to distinguish that you transact with God's ideas, not good ideas. See, God doesn't tell us everything, but he does tell us what we should know, when we should know it, and what we should do. That brings us to the last. Personal faith. If you're going to lead, you have to be a person of faith. In fact, I don't know how someone leads who's not a person of faith. Because if you don't become a person of faith then your leadership is based on your intelligence, your resources, and your strategic plan. In Genesis 17.1, and when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou blameless. Now what's about to happen is two things. God's given Abraham a name, El Shaddai, the God who's more than enough, the Almighty God. But God's about to give Abram a name, and it's Abraham. He's about to give Sarai a name, and that's Sarah. Here's what I can tell you. Personal faith means you know. It's not secondhand knowledge. It's personal knowledge. See, when you know someone, you know all the little names that describe them. Think about it. All of you that played in sports, if you were on a sports team, nobody just went by their name. 
My son, Cody, who played on baseball teams forever, he had a nickname. That nickname sticks today. Why? Because people close to him know that name. And here's the thing. When you know someone well and you spent time with them, you know their name. Not the name everyone else calls them, but the name that you have learned to call them. Faith requires action and attitude. God says, walk before me, action, and be sincere, attitude. And then it's going to go on, and we're going to say, be blameless. For us, that's humility. See, humility is this, knowing who you are with God, but recognizing who you are without God. Now, what's going to happen is, is because of this personal faith, because of this willingness to have an action and an attitude and to humble yourself, God's going to reaffirm the promise, but he's going to go really deep with it. In fact, seven times in the next few verses, God's going to say, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Do you know why that's so important? Because seven times when Adam sinned, God said, the curse will, the curse will, the curse will. See, what God was giving Abraham was because of his faith, a covenant that would counteract the curse. Seven times I will to replace the curse and the seven things it would do. There's a whole lot of thought in there some of you need to jump into. Bottom line is, Abraham's an example of a leader, not a perfect leader, but of a growing leader. And I think each one of us, we're that kind of leader too. Again, if you could go to my webpage, GeraldBrooksMinistries.com, I have roundtables in Orlando, Albuquerque, St. Louis, and Clarksville, Tennessee. I'd love to see you at one of them. What I can tell you is you can listen and you can add to your leadership. You can be in the room and you multiply your leadership. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast. If you'd like more information on Dr. Brooks's books, audio, or speaking engagements, please go to geraldbrooksministries.com. 